0: CBS Monday. NCIS! Here's where we can see them! NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases.
1: Double tap to the chest,
2: one to the head. These guys are professionals.
0: All new criminals.
2: Violent, island we got here. Walking
0: paradise. And all new crimes to be solved.
2: If you're watching this, I've been arrested.
0: What are the charges? Just one murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.
2: All right, welcome into to the Hoist the Colors podcast and a victorious ECU baseball Hoist the Colors podcast guys as we are going to be talking about a 3 and 0 Pirate baseball team and the week ahead. I'm your host Stephen Igo. I'm joined by Jonathan Wagner and Scott Lorbacher. If you're watching our live stream, you can now see that instead of my entire face being lit up, now only one now only one half is lit up. We're still working on lighting issues in the hoisted color studios. Uh, Scott and Jonathan have much better lighting than me. uh, Scott, by far, has the best lighting and the best backdrop. I have a half-assed setup here. Uh, Jonathan has a a great setup. Uh, But either way, guys, we're we're recapping uh, a successful weekend for ECU baseball. And I do want to get our overall thoughts on – weekend uh was we'll also look look forward if you're tuned in to our live audition. feel free to drop any um, comments questions in our in our live feeds on youtube and also facebook give us a subscribe like all of those help our numbers all of those help our streaming uh deals as we continue to build this audience we're going to go monday night Every week until uh, the world ends, or until something happens in our life. So, uh, guys, we'll start three and zero with everybody's overall thoughts on the three and zero week over George Washington. We'll go first to to Scott, and uh, well, it couldn't have started much better in terms of a season opening sweep.
1: Definitely not. You know, we we outscored them by thirty runs over three games. Um, really can't complain about that. Um, got to use a lot of different position players, a lot of different pitchers. Um, got to see a lot of different guys, a lot of new guys in uniform. Um, yeah, so just a great weekend. Crowd looked good on TV. I had to watch from my phone for a, a, quite a bit of it and then uh, from home for probably half. So, yeah, it's great to see you know Pirate Nation showing out. Great crowd. I mean, what do we have, 4777 or something like that was the number on opening day? Yeah, Pretty impressive. I think it would have been like fifth in the SEC for opening day attendance. So great job by Pirate Nation of getting out and supporting the team.
2: Wags, I believe you were you were trying to make it to the opener on Friday before you got soaked. Uh, I know you, you missed some of the action Saturday due to going to the Hurricanes stadium series, but your overall thoughts on the Pirates 3-0 start?
0: Yeah, well, uh, like you said, it a you know, baseball season got started and the only way it could – Nice little rain delay. Six o'clock rolls around. I'm sitting in my seats. I see that dark cloud rolling up and I'm talking to the people around me. And I said, you know, it might rain a little bit with this first cloud, but I saw an end to it. There were dark clouds behind it. I was just trying to be optimistic and saying it was a, you know, dark night clouds. I was wrong. I got really wet. I sat there and I I couldn't swallow my pride yet because I I kept saying, I'm like, you know, we're going to be good. We're going to be good. It's not going to rain. Eventually, I swallowed my pride. I went downstairs and... Drove two, home, two hours home right after that. Missed Saturday. I watched up until it was 4-4. ECU tied it on Saturday in game one. And, you know, at first it was kind of like, oh, no, here we go again, opening day, down 4 nothing. But ECU stormed back, and I think to me, I was just impressed with the depth all around. ECU looked good all weekend. I don't know if last year's team, I don't want to make any slights towards, you know, the bench guys last year but I think this weekend really showed and yeah it's George Washington but the talent was on display and I'm really impressed and I think the team's in a really good spot going into a big week
2: yeah the offense as a whole um extremely impressive and we should preface this by saying look George Washington is I mean the George Washington I mean when you're facing a you know president that died as long ago <laughs> as he did I mean you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna score some runs but it's just, uh, as as Scott shows off his uh, his president's Washington National shirt, which is pretty, pretty fitting here. Um, yeah, it's the depth of the lineup, uh, the execution up and down the lineup, when guys came off the bench. I mean, there was no drop-off. I mean, you could argue the second team guys coming off the bench was better. And I said last week on the podcast that when I watched the scrimmage on Monday, the B lineup, quote-unquote, quote, unquote, quote uh, kicked the A team's lineup's tail. And so I just feel like this team is extremely deep hitting-wise, and they're not going to go out and score eight, nine, ten runs a game, but there's not going to be an easy out in this lineup more times than not. And so um, look, th- there are still things this team has to prove, but I think overall we, we kind of saw some of the flashes of, of why this team is going to be so dangerous if all the pieces come together. I still think we're going to see a lot of guys get opportunities throughout the year, especially as competition stiffens and, you know, scouting reports go around and, and uh, you know, all that stuff is made available. You'll see some guys hit slumps and other guys will step into the lineup. But I just thought you couldn't have asked for a better start offensively. We'll talk about any concerns later on. Uh, starting pitching wasn't too deep in the games, but, again, it's the first weekend. Guys are on pitch counts. We also had the Carter Spivey deal where he's – Warming up two times in a row is just not ideal. So, um, a lot to like. I mean, anytime you score 23 runs in a game to finish off a three-game sweep, that's pretty, pretty damn special. So, um, we already got a, a question about uh, the midweek game. We'll get to that in a little bit. We'll uh, appreciate your questions. Again, if you got any questions, uh, drop them in the comments section. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe to get uh, the numbers up. All right, the story of the weekend – Guys, Justin Wilcoxon, 10 for 14, 7. <laughs> I can only laugh at the numbers this guy put up. Uh, 7-14 batting average, two homers, three doubles, eight RBIs. All right, can we first start with a – I got I got a bone to pick with Collegiate Baseball newspaper. You guys know I have a long-standing rivalry with Collegiate Baseball. Uh, I even looked up the guy's name before I came on the show, and now I can't even remember it. Uh, the guy who runs it. They picked 12 national players of the week and they did not include Justin Wilcoxon. How was that even possible? Like is that just an intentional oversight? I mean that's the only thing I can think of. What what do we think, guys?
1: I think it's one dude trying to cover 300 baseball teams, which and is He lives
2: in Arizona. Name. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he lives in Arizona. I I do like the fact that he spells out every team's name completely on a <laughs> Like LSU is listed as Louisiana State. Miami is Miami, and then it has Florida in parentheses in case you couldn't figure out which one was going to be in the top 25. But yeah, I think it's just that's just an oversight. It's just an impossible task. Um, it doesn't matter how much big league two he gets um, for his, uh, his poll, I will never respect it.
2: Yeah. Wags, yeah. I know, I know we've gone back and forth on this
0: yeah I mean I think I think it has to be just an oversight because I think no matter how much bias you know some of these polls have towards whichever conferences, schools, you know, some of them may not show ECU the respect all the time, but you can't look at Justin wilcoxon's numbers and not put them on that list if you're making it. Uh, I, so and to me, I'm just gonna chalk it up as a he overlooked it and I'm gonna really hope it's not anything else because if so that that's a that's embarrassing.
2: The biggest joke in all of college baseball media, and I hate even giving them any recognition, but I can't not do it, uh, even though that might be grammatically incorrect. Uh, I cannot do it because they're so... Gosh, it just pisses me off. Um, either way. Uh, all right, we got a cool comments, too. We'll talk about Will Cox in a second. Uh, baseball America is a joke. Uh, Will Stone, former ECU director of media relations... Or not director of media relations media content creative media content he ran all the the video photo stuff last year he's now working with the memphis grizzlies he says are we taking fortune torches and pitchforks to the baseball america office i do want to clarify one thing so all right so baseball america they've had ecu listed at number 24 in the preseason rankings so ecu technically did not fall the problem is (laughs) On their website, it said they dropped seven spots in the rankings. So if you're gonna do the rankings, baseball America, please make sure you actually have your content laid out correctly. Um, as far as having ECU 24, I think that's a little low, but time will tell. I don't think that you know history suggests they're not exactly the biggest fan of ECU. So uh, if they win two out of three against UNC and don't jump up the rankings, then I think there's serious cause for concern. But I just wanted to clarify that that situation. Um, anyways, let's talk about the good things, guys. Justin Wilcox and Wags, I mean, this guy, he had nine RBIs all of last season. He finished with eight this weekend. Just what a weekend.
0: Yeah, what a weekend. I mean, coming in, you didn't really know, you know, how much would he play. You figured he would be in the lineup a lot, him and Ryan McChrystal both. but. With McChrystal kind of dealing with his back injury right now, it opened a door for Wilcoxon probably to slide from the DH spot to the catcher spot to start things off. And I mean, you couldn't, you really couldn't draw it off, draw it up any better. He just, he was a dangerous bat in the lineup all weekend long. Even when he, those limited outs that were competitive at bats. And man, he showed off his pop. And I tweeted this too, but Justin Wilcoxon was always destined to hit a home run on opening day first game in the first inning i believe of game one of the doubleheader on saturday he had two moon shots back-to-back pitches that just went foul and i thought they were both gone but eventually he got his last laugh and he got a hold of the ball and he sent it far and you got to be encouraged by that and especially and i'm just gonna pat my own back here and say i did predict you'd be in a three hole so i'm glad to see him do well there selfishly you know but You know, if he he can be that type of hitter all year long, and obviously he's not going to hit 700 all year, he's, you know, that's not going to happen. But if he can be a consistent threat, you know, power-wise, just getting on base-wise, just all around in that three-hole, then, I mean, that's going to be a great boost for this lineup and one that's really needed because he also hits lefties really well. So I think that's a really nice development, one that I think is very important.
2: Yeah, he's got the early RBI lead guys uh eight uh but Starlin right behind him was six so i'm not gonna say it's it's wrapped up but look it's one weekend i mean it's not you know i want to say like justin wilcox is not gonna be an automatic all-american just because he had three great games against george washington but the same guy we saw in the preseason great at bats great defensive play through the absolute strike down on the one uh guy who was trying to steal i mean that wasn't even close um so yeah i mean scott when you look at will Coxon and then, you know just the to me that the difference in, and nothing gets ben newton last year he was a solid player but i think the upside of mccrystal when he gets back and will Coxon give this team a different dimension at catcher
1: absolutely um he had what i would describe as a near perfect weekend um and you know you just mentioned starling Starling went 500 with a triple, a home run, and a near cycle game, and we're not even talking about how great of a weekend he had. That's how how well um, Will Coxon did at um, at the plate. Um, You know, if I had to pick a nit, I I say near perfect because in game two he did have that um, that pass ball that allowed a runner to advance, which obviously you know we're picking nits, but. That happened, and then there was a throw-in from Hoover that same inning where if he makes the catch, he has time to make the tag, um, and the ball kind of bounces off his chest. Um, So, you know, he had two lapses out of 50 chances on the weekend, which is incredible. So, yeah, I mean, he looks like a true three-hole hitter, um, which if we could have – Um, J.C. at the top of the lineup, and Starling batting like he did behind him. I mean, this offense is just going to go.
2: And just another example of a guy who stuck in the program, didn't play at all early in his career, really developed, didn't whine, and did it the right way, which is why – you know why we love this ecu baseball program so much at the end of the day like i mean it's just a it's a true college program in an era where college sports have gone from you know more of a year-to-year team yeah you got to build a new team every year but ecu baseball is a program and that's why fans i think identify with it along with the winning and, and cliff Goblin and everything there but uh just a monster weekend yeah that Yeah, he almost made that play – like the Hoover – Hoover made a great throw, but it almost short-hopped him, and it was a tough, you know, tough scoop um, in that spot for sure. Uh, Let's talk about the other star of game one, and we kind of overlook it, guys, because ECU went on to win, kind of going away late. Let's not forget ECU trailed. They didn't have momentum, uh, and Carter Spivey had a tough start. Zach Root came out of nowhere and really kind of changed the momentum of the game and changed the momentum of the series. I mean, let's think about if Zach Root doesn't come in in that opener and pitch the way he did, I think it's a completely different series. I mean, there's a chance you could lose that game. So uh, Root goes three and two-thirds, two hits allowed, pounding the strike zone, just phenomenal stuff. Uh, Scott, when you look at Zach Root, just just how pleased we were were you with what you saw?
1: Yeah, his first opportunity and steps up and delivers in a big way. Um I think he is one of three pitchers on our staff currently that is actually eligible for the ERA title by throwing enough innings. Um which is, is crazy to say. And, and you know, it's kind of it's kind of ironic that someone would come in and fill that Spivey role on a night where Spivey just didn't quite have his best stuff. Um, yeah, so I I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the table. And if he gets an opportunity to start, you know, does it translate to, um, success there as well?
2: Jonathan, when you look at what Root was able to do, and also there's already talk of, Hey, should we leave this guy in his current role? I think some of that is premature, but I do think the way that we saw him pitch in really a a pressure spot, just kind of free and easy, uh, you know, he, he kind of reminded me of C.J. Mayhew early in his career. Uh, just what did you think of, of Zach Root and his potential role going forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, coming in, I mean, we knew that Zach Root was one of those guys in the offseason, you know, probably could have gone pro, and he didn't. He made it to campus, which was big. And, you know, all off season long, we we pondered, you know, is he going to be in the rotation somewhere? Might he start midweeks, or is he just going to be in the bullpen, and how much will he pitch right away? And yeah, I mean, I think if he doesn't do what he does on in game one on Saturday, I think ECU probably loses. Just, you know, obviously Spivey didn't have his best stuff, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. I don't really fault Spivey a whole bunch for that, but Zach Root came in and as a true freshman, Garrett, I think Garrett Saylor was first out of the bullpen and then Zach Root followed him, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And yes. Saylor did a good job kind of settling things down, but you know, Root came right back after Sailor and continued to settle things, and it was big. And personally, I think for now you just you, you leave him in that role, especially going into a big week like this. I don't think you want to give him his first start against a uh, Campbell or Carolina because they're two very quality programs. And if it's you know an old saying, you know, if it's not fixed, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So I think you kind of let him continue to get his footing, get more comfortable because. Again, we talked about with Justin Wilcoxon, just because he had a good weekend does not mean he's going to continue to be an All-American type of guy, and it's the same thing goes for Zach Root. You know, I want to continue to see him get it. Don't change his role yet. Let him get comfortable in live game action against D1 opponents and, you know, let him build his confidence, and then later in the season, you know, a couple weeks, a couple months down the road, then, then maybe you have a decision to make. But for now, I think you just keep him in that, you know, maybe high leverage type of bullpen role, He can give you a length, as we saw, and really anything is – it's just a bonus because, I mean, he's legit. We knew he was legit, but I didn't expect him to go and do that in his first outing, and he sure did. So it's another really nice development for this team if he can continue. Scott, what else
2: caught your eye as far as big positives this weekend as you uh, watch the series unfold?
1: Yeah, I think um, the work that our bullpen did in games one – and three and, and game two as well, I guess. But um, was was certainly a, a big positive. And then um, uh, Starling's ability to hit to all fields, um, you know, that's something that certainly wasn't lost on me this weekend. Um, you know, if it's a little warmer or a little windier, blowing out, he has a cycle in game three. And it wasn't like, oh, he got a cycle because he had you know seven at bats because it was a twenty-three to five game. It, it was like. The fifth inning, and he would have hit for the cycle had um, his home run not been robbed. Um, but so obviously those two things, and just the fact that we swept a team opening weekend um, after last year's debacle, which I guess they they flashed us during the during one of the games that in Cliff's nine seasons we have either swept or been swept in every opening weekend, which is kind of a wild stat if you really think about it and you know look at some of the teams we've played but um the fact that we just didn't back down and and just kept our the you know foot on the gas the whole weekend
2: wags any individuals that we haven't mentioned yet really catch your eye
1: yeah i mean i think you
0: you kind of have to mention luke nowak and he's a, i mentioned the you know McChrystal probably going from that – or not McChrystal, but and going from the probably DH spot to catcher or vice versa. Maybe McChrystal's DH, who knows. But, you know, McChrystal's injury really opened the door for Luke Nowak to come in, and I figured, you know, he would be one of those ones. Game one, he'll get the start at DH. You'll probably see someone else game two, and, you know, you might see someone else game three too, but with the way he swung the bat in game one, you couldn't take him out. And I think Luke Nowak, he – I want to say he's third on the team right now and runs batted in. I think he has five, if I'm not mistaken. He had a couple of doubles, extra base hits, and he had a heck of a weekend too. And it's one of those things, I think, with guys like that stepping up, like Luke Nowak, position player-wise, we mentioned the depth earlier, but to me it just really speaks, you know, if someone's not hitting in the lineup this year, you're. I think you're going to get replaced. Because there's enough talent and depth on this team. Probably, I think it's one of probably the deepest – maybe team position player-wise that we've seen at least in a while. So, Noak's emergence, you know, the outfield spot, you know, does JJC end up in center? Noak's another guy's fast. Another option out there, really nice to see because he tore it up in summer ball, and it's nice to see him kind of get back on track here opening weekend after I think he had an injury preseason as well. So, really nice to see him swing the bat so well.
2: Yeah, I mean, do you just look up and down these numbers. Cam Claunch had a home run. Riley Johnson, a home run. All these guys, you know, Josh Moylan finished game three strong. Um, just Dixon Williams and his limited at-bats look really good. So I just feel like there's a lot to like here. And the bullpen, I thought, was phenomenal. And a guy we haven't really mentioned, and we'll get into this discussion now. Um, I tell you what, let's, let's answer one of these – a couple of these questions for people hanging on, then we'll talk about the, the rotation um johnny robertson with a good a good point a big improvement on containing opposing base runners as bryant had five stolen bases in the first uh season opening series last year the pirates held gw to zero stolen bases picked off a runner and gunned down another runner at second base definitely a huge improvement and you know we talked about earlier wilcox and like his ability to throw down the second base control the running game in the preseason, I took notice of it, and I thought it carried over. You could tell he's put the work in. Um, and then Johnny also adds, things get tougher tomorrow as Campbell already has seven different players with a stolen base after their Rutgers series. The Camels were 3-for-3 three three last season in Game 4 against the Pirates. So that's certainly something worth monitoring uh, going forward. The other situation we haven't really touched on is Ryan McChrystal. Looks like he will be out a few weeks, according to Cliff Goblin, and so – that is a bit of a concern for me in that you don't really have a true backup catcher right now. Uh, Nick DeLisi, a freshman can catch. He did catch the ninth inning of the the finale, but you know, Wilcoxon stayed in there through cramps on Saturday in like his 18th inning. So um, it's clear they trust Wilcoxon right now. They just, they just got to keep him healthy, right? For
1: sure. Um, you know, I think in a perfect world, you switch games two and three as far as the result where you get out to such a big lead that you can, you know, put some, some other guys in and, you know, get Wilcoxon off his feet a little bit earlier than, than we were able to. Um, I I do, you know, catching is a a good point to bring up though, because I do remember last year um, sitting in Chapel Hill and watching us have pass balls and, you know, just poor F not effort necessarily, but just, Poor play behind the plate, Um, you know, those first seven or eight games of the year. And I really think it affected our team to where, you know, you get a, you know, a strikeout or whatever it might be. And then the ball pops out of the glove or you got a runner on first with two outs and a ball gets by the catcher. Now there's a runner on second and a single scores him and you get the next guy out and he wouldn't have scored anyway. So, you know, really, really great to see and kind of step into that role and just and just take the reins kind of the way that Ben Newton did last year um, later in the year.
2: Yeah, I think this team is going to need McChrystal. Um, so hopefully they can shut him down, figure out whatever's going on and, and get him back sooner rather than later. Because you can't make it through a 56-game a gauntlet with one catcher. Um, so they're either going to have to grow DeLisi up or, uh, you know, get Will, uh, McChrystal back at some point as well. Uh, another question from chance what role will jake hunter have i thought he would take the midweek start um you know we did see jake hunter pitch late i believe sunday right Pitched the ninth i believe yeah so and i thought he looked good um wags mm-hmm. you know i, I think he's kind of one of those fringe starters like at this point if i think we could see him tuesday at campbell out of the bullpen but you know with charlie hodges getting the start and we'll talk about him in a minute but you know, I think if, if somebody struggles in the midweek, if somebody struggles as a starter, I think we could easily see him back in that mix. What do you think?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as the game got more and more out of hand on Sunday, you know, I was calling for, you know, guys like Charlie Hodges because I, want, I just wanted to see him pitch. I haven't seen Charlie P- Hodges pitch before. And, you know, ultimately I was a little surprised when it was Jay, Ken- Jay Connor coming out of the bullpen. And I mean, who knows he pitched and I think he still could start like theoretically, he could still start like on Tuesday, obviously Charlie Hodges is this week, but you know, in the future, you know, he could be a weekend bullpen guy and still start midweeks technically, depending on how many pitches he throws. But I mean, yeah, I mean, he's one of those options. I think there's a really a bevy of options there to pick from, but you know, Hodges is going to get the nod, but I'm, I'd i be surprised if we don't see Jay Con on Tuesday. And I mean, if he, he started off last season really well and he had ups and downs and as a freshman and good start to this season. So he's another one of those guys. And if he is coming out of the bullpen, he's going to give you length. He could. So, you know, I'm fine with him in the bullpen. We'll see what Charlie Hodges has, but I definitely wouldn't be surprised, you know, maybe next week in Durham or in the future when there's more midweeks coming up, if Jake Hunter doesn't ultimately get a shot.
2: The other thing too, is Campbell historically is a, pretty good fastball hitting team we know jake hunter loves uh to pitch off his fastball not that he can't throw other stuff but maybe it's a matchup based thing with charlie hodges and we'll, we'll take this into uh we'll, we'll discuss hodges real quick we had a question earlier from will what do we expect out of charlie hodges heading into the the campbell game he will make his first career start you know i don't I don't know. I don't know what to expect from Charlie Hodges. I mean, to be quite honest, the guy's coming off Tommy John surgery. He hasn't pitched in what, probably two years or so. Um, you know, I, I know that he had a solid preseason. He's got a good pitch mix, pretty good command guy. You know, I would say slightly above average stuff from what I've heard, maybe a tick above that. But I haven't seen him pitch live. So I, I really don't know what to expect. I know the staff has confidence in him. I don't think we're expecting Charlie Hodges to go throw five innings tomorrow. I think if you get two, three innings, you're feeling pretty good. I think you're going to see a lot of arms either way. What What about you, Scott?
1: Yeah, I think that I think you hit the nail on the head there. With you know, can you get us one time through the lineup? Um, that's that's what I typically would look for from a Tuesday night guy. i will be honest, I don't, I don't know a ton about Charlie and what he throws and and all that so it's – It'll be interesting to, you know, kind of see what he has as far as stuff. It's, um, we threw 14 guys this weekend, so he'll be our 15th pitcher to take the mound this season already. Um, so, yeah, you know, just looking to see, it. can he mix three pitches successfully? Um, and, and that's what I'd like to see out of any starter that we have. Um, so that's what I'll be looking for.
2: Yeah, we had somebody ask Jack. Jack Dover asked, "What kind of pitches do we expect from Hodges on Tuesday?" I don't have a Charlie Hodges scouting report. I don't know if Campbell has a Charlie Hodges scouting report, and maybe that's a good thing because maybe he just goes out there like twirling some nasty changeup or curveball, and that has him flummoxed through an inning, so or through a you know a time through the order. So I think it's a you know maybe it won't matter, but I think it's a good move to throw Hodges in this type of game. Uh, what do you think, Wax? Yeah, I
0: agree. I think, yeah, the unknown factor is kind of good because, I mean, we all know Campbell's no pushover. Campbell's a legit team, and we've seen that year in, year out, you know, really solid games against them pretty much no matter what, no matter who starts. And Campbell's throwing one of their guys. So, you know, Charlie Hodges is going to be tested. If he doesn't pitch well early, ECU is going to be in a bad spot. So it really shows that the staff really the, – the coaching staff does trust him. And – You know, obviously, yeah, it has been a while since he's had, you know, live game action. He's pitching scrimmages and stuff. But, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat and just we'll find out tomorrow at 5 o'clock.
2: Yeah, looking forward to that one. We'll talk more about that game in a second. We got several questions already on UNC. Um, And, again, keep your comments rolling in because after we kind of tackle these next few topics, we'll we'll close the show answering any unanswered questions. Um, Let's talk about the starting pitching, guys. We've touched on the bullpen. We've touched on the offense. You know, Up and down weekend for starting pitching, again, different circumstances surrounding opening weekend. Guys aren't all the way stretched out. Uh, You had this scenario with Carter Spivey where he spends all of Friday warming up thinking he's going to pitch. He's ready to go, and then (laughs) literally uh, just monsoons right as they take the field. So he's unable to go. Then he has to go through his entire routine, Saturday, so I I don't have too much concern on the Carter Spivey short start, um, and I didn't think he pitched that bad watching the game. Like there were a few CNI singles, it was a pretty tight strike zone. Um, I'm not too concerned. What about you guys? Uh, any concern, uh, Wags? At this point,
0: no, not at all. And I think just to add to kind of the you know first game, I don't think he really got a whole lot of help from his defense either. In game one um, that, you know, that ball in center field, that's going to be a story that we continue to watch unfold. But, you know, I'm not worried. Covers Spivey, we saw what he can do last year. And yes, it is true. You know, this is his first year as a starting pitcher in college. And I think I'll be interested to see how he holds up, you know, later in the season. But just given the circumstances, I, you can't really fault him. And in addition to just physically, you know, getting warmed up, getting hot and being ready to throw, and literally taking a mound and being ready for the moment of silence, I think just mentally too, that's tough. And I think I think you talked about it before in the day before the press conference. And he said, you know, kind of last year that just closers mentality type of role for everyone on the pitching staff, it helps in a situation like that when you don't know what time you're playing on a day. You know, you might start at four, you might start at six, you might start at eight. But getting ready and then the game being pushed to the next day and it being the front end of a doubleheader, that's a completely different animal. So I'm not worried. I think Spivey's going to bounce back on Friday against Carolina. And I, I'm not worried at all.
2: Scott, uh, we were texting about this uh, last night, this morning, about Trey Savage. You know, as you watch the game, you were like, maybe he didn't pitch that, that well. But his – you know, I, I think he maybe pitched better than his initial – I don't know. Maybe then we initially thought like his line's really not that bad. I thought we saw some good things out of Trey Savage on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, I think some of what happened with the Savage also happened with Spivey where George Washington was sitting fastball. Um, and then I don't know that they had quick enough bats to catch up to some of these fastballs and they fouled a lot of pitches off and got into a lot of deep counts. Um, Spivey, I think he so he threw 72 pitches to 16 batters. That's four and a half pitches per batter. That's really not a number, <clears throat> really not how high you want that number to be. And then Savage was four point four. Um, you know, Savage was able to get some strikeouts on the on that splitter that was really diving away. Um and it looked really, really good, um, which which helped. Um, and then obviously Spivey got ground balls or softballs that just fell into places. So then obviously that doesn't help. But I think Spivey's two best – sorry, Um, excuse me, Yesavage's two best innings were the fourth and fifth inning. Um, And he gets up to 85 pitches, he comes out of the game. I think if this is a month from now, he stays in the game and and continues that into the sixth and maybe even the seventh. So, yeah, I think – and and then um, there was the play we talked about earlier or the series of plays where there was a pass ball that got a a second. That guy ended up scoring on a sack fly. Um, for one of his runs. So, I think Savage overall pitched really, really well, um, even though the numbers might not indicate that he had as good of an outing as he did.
2: And then Josh Groves on Sunday was really good through three innings. And, you know, fourth inning, I can't remember what, I guess it was the fourth inning he gave the first homer and then the se- uh, the fifth inning uh, when he came back out, he gave the second homer. The, the So, the first homer, he got ahead 0-2 and then just left to the break them all up. And, uh, you know, you just got to, at the end of the day, execute that pitch better. I thought his sequencing was good. It's just, for him, it's more about execution consistently at this point. Um, when he spots his pitches, when he finishes his breaking ball and really makes it a swing and miss pitch, he he can be a pretty dominant guy. But if it's if it's left up in the zone, sometimes he gets hurt. We've seen the home run ball hurt him in the past. Uh, you know, he was 93, 94. Again, good stuff. And so I think <clears> – <throat> stuff wise it's there it's just a matter of execution with josh grows and you know we'll see how he how he does uh, second time through speaking of grows we got a question from facebook live from jack jackson he says uh, could you see grows moving back to the pen if there was someone to take a spot he just seems to get hit after the first through, time through the order and when they hit it it's normally hard even their outs were hit hard he was really good in the pen early last year you know i'm i'm willing to give grows um at least a few more starts. I still think his potential is as a weekend starter. Now, if he continues to have kind of the, you know, the the syndrome where second time, third time through he gets hit hard, then, yeah, I think it makes sense because I think he could be a dominant bullpen guy. Um, But I have no problem seeing him get a few more starts, um, especially the the next few weeks. What do you guys think uh, Wags will start with you? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think
0: kind of like with Spivey, you know, I'm not really worried about gross. I'm a little more worried with gross, you know, and just in comparison to Spivey, just because, you know, it was a kind of a theme last year and then anybody who's listened here knows how high I am on Josh gross. And it's just, he gets through that first time, like you said, and gets through the third inning into the fourth. And that's when he kind of starts his command starts to get a little off and he just starts, you know, kind of hanging pitches a little bit. And that's when the hard contact comes and, it reminds me like, and I go, I want to say you were the one who made this comparison, but like a Tyler Smith type of guy, he's really effective early on. And, you know, just the deeper he gets into a game, you know, just for whatever reason, just less and less effective as it goes on. But yeah, I mean, Josh Gross, he has a stuff. His fastball is good, but it's just a matter of doing it consistently. But I'm sticking by it. I think he's a high end weekend starter type of guy. And I think he's going to improve a lot by the time he does leave here. But if he does continue to struggle and say a guy like Zach Root continues to impress, then I don't know. Maybe you put Root in there. Maybe you put Gross in the bullpen. Or maybe you just maybe you start him on midweeks. You know, midweeks, you typically only expect. Um, you know, two to three innings out of your starter. And maybe that role, at least temporarily, obviously injuries are going to happen over the course of the year too, so stuff will be shuffled around. But, you know, maybe that's not a terrible spot. Start him, throw a couple of innings, let him get his confidence back, and then you kind of go from there.
2: Scott, and I, I think either way, Grose's season unfolds role-wise. I think ECU needs Josh – at near his best for this team to maybe get to where they want to be. I mean, I just think his upside, whether it's bullpen, middle relief, closer, starter, like they got to figure out the right role for Josh before the end of the year, I think, to to maximize this team's potential.
1: Oh, 100%. I watched um, a lot of college baseball this weekend. Um, I think I texted you guys last night at like 9.30 that I was watching Wright State Hawaii. Um <laughs> There's not a lot of guys throwing 93 94, um, just in general. Um, and it, you know, the first home run he gave up was on an 0 2 count, and he hung a breaking ball in the middle of the plate. I, mean, it, it, I mean, you couldn't have placed it on a tee more dead center of the middle of the plate than that, that ball was. And to that point, he had had no issues with this breaking ball or anything like that. He had pitched really well. I actually texted uh, Stephen and um, Jonathan earlier in the night just talking about how great he had been pitching to that point. And um, after he hung that breaking ball, I felt like he didn't have the same confidence in his breaking stuff. And like we said before, George Washington set fastball all weekend. They they worked off the fastball, and and if – you eliminate a pitch it makes it a lot easier to deal with um, so yeah, I think it's for gross it's just building more and more confidence into his um, pitches that aren't fastballs and that'll make him more and more successful.
2: All right let's get to one or two of these questions and we'll dive into the week ahead uh, a little bit more. Um, so we'll ask I, I looked this up earlier. I'm curious if either of you know, off the top of uh, top of the head, uh, when was the last cycle hit for by ECU? And yes, Starling was robbed of a home run, which took away the cycle. Uh, Cliff told him to go try and hit one out his last at bat, instead he got hit by a pitch on like the second pitch. that sucked. <laughs> but um, all right, any guesses, or do y'all do y'all know before I reveal the answer?
0: I don't know off the top of my head, but. Something tells me Connor Norby could have done it. Something tells me Brian Packer could be the guy. But those are just guesses. I, I don't know off the top of my head. What year yeah. was it?
2: It was 2010. Hard All to right. believe nope. it has been 12 <laughs> years.
1: All right, so I was a senior. Um, it wasn't me. Um, let's see here. Uh, 2010. That uh, was Dell Mullenhauer had graduated.
2: This guy, gonna, he became a staple in the ECU batting order for sure during this time. It was Kyle
1: Roller.
0: It was not Kyle Roller. It was a good guess, though. Yeah, I'm going to take right. my name out of the running here because that was a little bit before my time.
1: Wags was four, so. Uh.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm not that young.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Four-year-old Wags watching ECU baseball <laughs> on the crappiest stream live probably 2010. <laughs> all right, it was Corey Thompson. Versus Marshall in 2010. According to the EC record books, at least, I I think that the record books only go back so far. So since 1995, there have been five cycles. uh, And Corey Thompson did it in 2010. Ryan Wood did it at UNCW in 2009. Billy Richardson against Navy in 2005. John Williamson versus Southern in 1999 and brian Uris versus duke in 95 i don't know if i had the pronunciation right there but those are the five cycles starling almost became the sixth since 1995 so i'll be honest guys i'm pretty surprised it's been 12 years since an east carolina player hit for the cycle hopefully we see that come to an end this season um, a couple comments uh, chris lehman former uh, long time ago Used to help me out with the uh, the Hoist the Colors podcast, probably back when Corey Thompson was hitting for the cycle. Uh, great weekend for baseball. I was impressed by what I saw early in the battle back and the doubleheader. Batting was better than I expected. Pin was tough. Season is going to be special. Good to hear from you, Chris. Hope you're doing well, man. Um, and let's see if we got any more here. Yeah, the rest are dealing with the week ahead, so we will we'll touch on that. Let's
0: grab your VIP pass.
2: Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Let's talk about the week ahead, guys. And it's a major test at Campbell on Tuesday, 5 p.m. First pick. First pick. First pitch. We know that uh, the Buies Creek Bandits, uh, they get they get fired up for this one. Um, and... We'll start there. Let's just let's talk about this. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a midweek game. It's not going to make or break anything. But I think if you win this game, like this is one of those rare scenarios where like if EC loses this game, I'm kind of like, all right, whatever. Like it's not a big deal to me. But if you win this game and you start out a huge week with a, a big road win over likely a top 50, definite top 100 RPI team by the end of the year, I think it's just one of those resume boosters, Scott. Um, so these these are always big games.
1: Yeah, I so, saw um, something earlier where somebody said that Campbell, you know, them holding back a pitcher or whatever. They they said that well, they weren't too worried about a crappy Big Ten team. Well, Rutgers went forty-four and fifteen last year. Um, they were a first four out type ball ball uh, club out there, and and Campbell put it to them the first two games and then they got smoked in game three. But anytime you can win at a in-state opponent in North Carolina, I think it's significant. Um, there's a lot of really good college baseball played in this state, maybe as good as any state outside of Mississippi and Texas um, for college baseball. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a place that is tough to win. Um, it's a place that we are – often injured at so hopefully we can come out of this completely healthy um also if i were cliff i would stop playing at turf fields just in general but um it's here there. but um yeah I, I mean i think a win at campbell sets you up for a really positive five game stretch that we have here
2: jonathan uh first off are you gonna make the trip to booze creek to see this rivalry game in person and and how excited are you to watch it unfold if from your t- television set if not
0: well yeah on like scott said the injury bug playing at Campbell is kind of unfortunate and i think i was there two years in a row it was back probably 2016 2017 maybe 2015 but it was around there i think there were back to back years there was a pretty significant injury at Campbell i know one was duane williams sutton
2: I think Brickhouse was the next year? Brickhouse, yes. I
0: was at those two back-to-back years, and uh, you know, enough of that for me. Uh, I'm just going to let the guys leave healthy, be healthy for Carolina, but yeah, I mean, that win would be huge on Tuesday, because like we've talked about all show, you know, Campbell's a legit team. And every year we've seen that firsthand. You know, ECU might win, but if they win, it's not a blowout. And you know, tight games. Campbell has legit talent. Campbell brings in some really good talent, probably more than you would expect, expect from a team like Campbell, which is really impressive. And really, I love that. I do love that stadium outside of, um, outside of the stupid turf. I do love watching a game there, but you know, just having a statement win like that, again, it's, it's one thing to do it against George Washington, but if you can come and do it against an NCAA tournament type of team, that gives you some real momentum going into a, top 12 matchup against unc this weekend so it'd be it'd be a really nice start to the week and you know we'll just we'll see but i'm excited for it and i'm also excited to be watching from my tv
2: yeah yeah one year i covered a game there and basically got kicked out um because the press (laughs) box is so small um but no it is a nice stadium for what they they have and look they're a they're the perennial favorite in that league. They're likely going to be a regional team. We've seen in the past they're capable of winning a regional. They'll probably do it soon. They're throwing a East Tennessee State transfer who's averaging more than a strikeout in an inning. Pitched in the Cape last year. So, I mean, look, they'll be ready to go. If ECU doesn't play, they'll go up there and or go down there and get their tails kicked. So uh, we'll see what happens on Tuesday night. Uh, then a huge series, of course, this coming weekend. Uh, we got several questions on the North Carolina series, as you would expect. Uh, Carolina Cast wants to know, what do you guys think East Carolina needs to take down UNC this weekend? Um, we can get into this. I mean, I, I haven't dove into the Tar Heels but so much, but look, I mean, they're always going to be talented. They're going to be one of the more talented teams in the state. Uh, they've got Max Carlson as our Friday night guy who's a legit ace. So if you could find a way to win that game, I think you're you're feeling pretty good about the weekend, but that's going to be a tall task and um they can always pitch, they always got a ton of arms. You know, their pitching depth last year was surprisingly not good and it seemed okay against Seton Hall but not great they, they won 2 out of 3. So, Scott, any early thoughts on this Tar Heels matchup and what ECU needs to do to win the series?
1: Yeah, flipped over um you know, I was kind of flipping around on Friday waiting for our game to be played or not played and watch some of the, the game they lost to Seton Hall. Um, I think for us it's work counts, um, get their starters into to, to deep pitch counts. Now, granted, I didn't watch Saturday or Sunday, so I'm not, you know, too sure what happened with those games. But um, get to their bullpen, um, and then we have a chance to win. Um, and probably a good chance um, if we can continue to score um, the way that we did this past weekend. Uh, I just think that, you know, looking at that Friday night game, UNC um, – Seton Hall had three errors in that game and one. So, uh, you, you know, if we can get to their bullpen, then, you know, we can put some numbers up.
2: Yeah, I think, you know yeah. – the good news is when you're facing an ace this early in the season, I don't know how much Carlson threw last week, but you would think he's not going to go out there and go seven, eight, nine innings. So, uh, you know, UNC does have some guys in the back end of their bullpen that names I recognize, names that throw hard, good change-ups. Yeah, they always seem to have a ton of guys with good change-ups in the back end of their bullpen. So, look, it's going to be a challenge. You know, ECU did not play well in Chapel Hill last year in the first two years at all. They look kind of overmatched at the plate. I don't think that will be the case this year. Uh, Wag, what will you be looking for as you, you look kind of early on in the series to see how ECU is going to approach the Tar Heels?
0: I mean, I th- I'm i really excited for Friday. Uh, we, talked, we talked about the pitching matchup, you know, Max Carlson against Carter Spivey, and Max Carlson didn't have a good outing on Friday really either. He threw four and a third, four runs. And so, you know, it's kind of two guys looking to bounce back and two legit ace type of pitchers. And, you know, it's really going to set the tone. You know, if one of them comes out and isn't sharp again, then that sets a tone for the whole series. So, and I think for me, I'm looking at, I look at UNC's lineup. I mean, right at the top, you have Vance Honeycutt, Mac Horvath, you know, at the top of a lineup, it doesn't get much better than that. So, you know, Vance Honeycutt is great. I love watching him play, but to me it emphasizes, you know, we talked about guys like, you know, Josh Gross, he kind of got into trouble by, you know, hanging some pitches as he got later, you can't do that against Carolina. And I also think it emphasizes the need. You need to be sharp on defense. You can't give them any more chances. And, you know, we're going to talk about defense all year, I feel. And, you know, JJC and Center, this is a team they have pop. So they're going to hit a lot of fly balls, I think, and they're going to hit balls to the gap. You got to be on them, and you got to make the plays when you have a chance to make a play. If not, UNC is going to make you pay. And they're a team that's good enough to where if you, you know, if you give them too many extra opportunities, you're, you're not going to win. So I think it's a real test. Campbell will be a good test on Tuesday, but Carolina is a really, really good test over the weekend that I think it's – and a lot, of, a lot of people, it's kind of a measuring stick type of game in some eyes.
2: Yeah, Vance Honeycutt has got to be one of the best players in college baseball. So you, you would like to not let him beat you. I don't think this North Carolina lineup is as as deep as maybe past years, um, but Honeycutt's a game changer. Horvath has power. I mean, they always have dudes that can hit the ball out of the park with the ease. So, um, but if you attack them, usually you can strike them out and, and can't get them out. So, but if you if you get behind counts, they will make you pay. If you make mistakes, they will make you pay. Uh, so execution, as, as lame as that sounds, that will be key this weekend on the mound. Uh, we had a question, and um, let's see if I can pull it up here. Nathan Ross wants to know, where do we see ECU ranked if they go 3-1 and one or better this week? I mean, it's, it's tough to predict because, Scott, you follow this stuff closer than anybody. Uh, you got the thread on Hoist Colors where you're breaking it down. Um, a lot of it depends on what happens around ECU, what happens in front of them. But this will be one of the marquee series in the country this weekend. And so I think if ECU wins the series, regardless of what happens against Campbell, and I think if they just go 2-2, and they can move up. But if they go 3-1, and I think you're definitely probably cracking the top ten. Just your initial thoughts there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would put this towards the top of any series in the country. I'm trying to find it now. Yeah, Ole Miss and Maryland also play. Um, And I think that's a uh, (laughs) –
2: I'm not an Maryland believer. I'm, I'm yeah, not Maryland
1: so is not good. I, yeah. You don't lose to USF and be good. Um,
2: <laughs> hey, don't tell them the
0: Cliff
1: <laughs> Yeah,
2: that's well, the preseason favorite in Cliff Gawdell's when,
1: huh. when you have um, already clinched uh, the conference and then you lose two out of three to USF, I think it's a little different. Um, but, yeah, this is maybe the best series in college baseball this weekend, um, and, I, and I don't say that without really believing it. Um, uh, the biggest issue for going three and one and seeing some sort of leap is who does everybody else play? Right. Um, and if you follow a horse of Colors, I always do the, the five teams ranked ahead of us. Uh, and the reason I do that is I don't think that D one baseball will ever jump us more than five spots unless somehow we're playing the number one team in the country. Um, Vandy plays UCLA at home. TCU plays – Vandy's number 10. TCU's number eight. They play FSU. Um, Florida actually plays five AAC schools this week, um, or five AAC games against – five games against AAC schools, excuse me. Uh, and then Wake Forest plays – this is this is going to be a, a juggernaut of a schedule here. They play uh, UNCG, Binghamton, Mount St. Mary's, and Townsend in the Wake Forest Classic. So they're probably, they're probably not going to lose two of those games, right? So it's going to be hard for us to jump Wake Forest. Um, Vandy has a five-game week, um, finishing off with UCLA. I, I don't know if Vandy loses two out of three to UCLA. So, yeah, if we go three and one, um, a lot of that depends on what three and one means. Do we lose to Campbell and then sweep UNC? Or do we loot, Beat Campbell and go two and one against UNC. I think that that matters. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we could get as high as eight um, by going three and one. Um, we could also stay put uh, if Maryland somehow or drop in baseball in America. <laughs> <laughs> if Maryland somehow sweeps Ole Miss, they will jump us. So. Take that for what it's worth, too.
2: We saw TCU go from what 15 to eight this past week by beating two really good teams. So, and they jumped teams that did well. You know, they didn't play that type of competition. So, we'll see if ECU takes care of business. How much D1 baseball, I feel like D1 baseball has the respect for ECU. um, So, I think they'll bump them like to, to eight. You know, be 8, 9, 7 range, but I don't know. I mean, like you said, a lot of it depends on how this unfolds. So, um, I, I won't get too caught up, up in it either way, but huge week. Uh, Lucy Jones adds faux Shizzle stomp UNC. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, if you got any last-minute questions, drop them, drop them in. We're going to – I didn't warn you guys about this, but we're going to predict – we're gonna predict the four game week for ECU, um, and so uh, who who wants to go first? Who who's daring enough to predict how this week is gonna play out? Scott, you might need a four and zero week to keep your forty five and eleven prediction alive. So uh,
1: when I when I so the forty five and eleven thing, I went through every week and I didn't predict each game. I just predict predicted the week right, and I think I did have this week as a three and one week. Um, I think we win at Campbell, I'll say we lose Friday because I'll be there, and then we'll win Saturday and Sunday because that's typically how it goes for me. If I show up, it's usually not a positive experience for the Pirates.
0: bags Yeah, I'm, I'm also going to go with a three-in-one week, but I think you beat Campbell – I think Carter Spivey bounces back on Friday and turns back into the Carter Spivey. We all know he's capable of being. Again, not worried. And then I, I think I think Saturday. I I've I no no real reason for this. I just, you know, have a feeling the second game you're gonna lose that one to set up a one-one rubber match going into Sunday. You know, exciting series. Just feels like I can see it happening. So I'll go three-one. You lose on Saturday against Carolina. And, yeah. My
2: role here is to always provide motivation for the ECU baseball <laughs> team. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I, I'm not going to predict three and one. I will predict two and two. So I do have them losing to Campbell on Tuesday night for the first loss of the season. Then I have them winning Friday and Saturday to win the series and UNC winning the finale in Chapel Hill. Um, so I'm going a little bit more modest, but still, I think that would still be a successful week at the end of the day, for sure. You know, winning the weekend series, this could be a marquee series that, that carries you through the the whole season. Um, if UNC is as good as advertised, you know, we'll see. I will say too, if, if ECU does not have a good week, please, people, the season is not over. Uh, I just want to let you guys know there will be approximately, as I do math in my head very quickly here, 49 games after this week. And so if ECU loses two out of three or even gets swept by North Carolina, the season is not over. Um, although there will be a lot of mad pirate fans. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know what they're going to do. This is, you know, we're recording this on Monday night. Uh, the forecast for, Friday, for Saturday, 60% chance of rain, high of 49, low of 38. Doesn't look great. But I don't think UNC is going to want to play a doubleheader after playing Tuesday and Wednesday. So, you know, we'll, we'll continue to monitor that. Also, a couple notes before we get out of here. Um, let me check the, the comments section real quick. Lucy Jones firing off some questions. Is George Washington comparable to Campbell? No uh she also where skull part is yeah where is skull part scott isn't that your boy
1: you know i thought i was gonna i thought about texting him to see where he was at and then i was like you know the the conversation is actually kind of flowing tonight so i'll uh it's
2: been good without him so we'll have to tune in uh <laughs> we we'll have to tune in next time um uh, she also wants to know, how do UNC starting pitchers look? We kind of touched on that with Carlton. Will Sandy started Saturday last week. He's that lefty who's been there forever. I was reading um, Scott Forbes' comments earlier. It sounds like they're going to wait and see how this week unfolds before announcing a rotation Thursday. Um, but you'll see Carlson for sure Friday. And likely Will Sandy will start Saturday or Sunday Especially with ECU being so lefty heavy, and he's pretty brutal on lefties, uh, and then they got a pretty experienced guy that through Sunday didn't have a great start, but um, threw some against ECU last year, I believe. So look, they're going to pitch pitch well either way. Um, so it'll be a uh, it'll be a tough series. As Lucy Jones also sends smooches to the guys on the podcast. Now, my, my
0: question, real quick, is What's Lucy up? Jones Buck Wild? Buck Wild on the horse of Colors thread said, I'm coming for you, Skull Pirate.
2: <laughs> no, you well, may have just cracked the code. Wagner, man.
1: So.
0: I think I may have.
2: <laughs> Lucy Jones is Buck Wild. It all makes sense now. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Um, I go and
1: I are married, uh, so those are all all Wagner's. He said,
2: yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, cracked right. code buck wild and wagner coming to a uh coming to a restaurant near you um oh yeah so houston this week women's basketball uh if you got nothing going on wednesday six o'clock free admission they're playing for second place Kim McNeil squad is 19 and 8 they deserve your support i'll be out there covering for hoist the colors uh excited about that Uh, And then also the Houston Cougars men's basketball team is ranked number one nationally. They'll be in on Saturday night, 8 o'clock. So I'm hoping that this ECU baseball UNC thing stays the same, maybe gets pushed back a little bit, which wouldn't be the end of the world, and then that flows right into the basketball game at 8 o'clock that night. But it'll be the first time ever the number one ranked team in America visits Menji's Coliseum. So, of course, ECU plays Tulsa on the road on Tuesday 1st, so we'll see how that goes. Hopefully they can bounce back, get a win. But a huge week for ECU Athletics. I'm sure other sports going on as well. I'm just trying to keep up with uh, Buck Wild and ECU Baseball and ECU Women's Basketball now. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, any, any closing thoughts as we wrap it up? I can't <laughs> even read the last comment. Uh, Scott, uh, if we can get back on track for the final seconds of this podcast.
1: Yeah, um, for sure. Let's big shout out to Kim McNeil's program and team. Picked to finish last, and looks like they they're going to finish second. So, you know, great job by her um, and Amia and the rest of that team on on how well they played this year. And hopefully, they can win the the conference tournament. I know uh, USF is is really good. So, you know, if they can get the two seed. Maybe somebody else knocks them off, or they can knock them off in the in the championship game. I'm really looking forward to getting out to uh, Clark LeClaire this weekend, um, bringing my uh, my littlest one who is just over four months old. So if you see me out there, say hi. Um, look forward to talking to you all. And I'll keep uh, my threads going on Hoist the Colors for uh, the top 25 discussion. And, you know, if anybody ever wants to talk about a game that's going on, Post on there, and I'll I'll pull it up if it's on, ES, on uh, ESPN. Plus, you know, was watching Hawaii in the middle of the night, so let's do that, and uh, we'll keep the threads going on uh, all of our weekend opponents as well.
2: I can verify, Scott will talk to you about any college baseball <laughs> game uh, that is being played at the Division One level <laughs> at any time slot. Uh, known to man, so he he's ready for it. That does. Uh,
1: the uh, Fullerton game was uh, insane this weekend. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, that was. I, I enjoyed your your live game tracker in our text thread. By the way, Colin Coach,
1: Coach yeah, Dietrich. He had a Dietrich right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> blew it, and they
2: lost about <laughs> like ten. And an <laughs> <laughs> That was tough. That was tough. Wags, closing thoughts.
0: Yeah, I mean another big week ahead, and I mean really. Cool weekend coming up. I mean, we talked about Houston coming in on Saturday, Carolina obviously in town. And on Wednesday, too, I'm going in at 9 p.m. first or tip for basketball. If you're not working during the day and you got time to kill three o'clock, even I'm a big lacrosse guy now. And ECU lacrosse is at home on Wednesday. I'll be out there and, you know. I like to be outside. I like to watch baseball when I can, but I'll watch lacrosse too. So big week for ECU athletics and really cool to see the Kim McNeil squad kind of do what they're doing right now too. So big week ahead. And I I'm hoping that we're talking about a three and one or a better week come next Monday.
2: All right, guys, it's been fun. It's well past my bedtime. I'm going to get out of here for, uh, for Mr. Outside Jonathan Wagner and, Mr. College Baseball, Scott Batcher. I am Stephen Igo. This has been the Hoist of Colors podcast. We'll talk to you guys next Monday night at 9 o'clock. We'll continue to do this all season long. Like, comment, subscribe everywhere at all times as much as possible. We'll talk to you guys uh, next Monday after an ECU series victory.
1: Happy President's Day.
0: New CBS Monday. Federal agents. Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. To all new criminals to catch.
2: Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder.
0: And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J.
1: Violin Island, you got it.
0: Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Mm-hmm.